Welcome to Sunday School for Heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I am not a priest and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who owns five rosaries. So that's what you were counting right before we went in. That is. I had to check how many I had. That's amazing. <laughs> that both you have enough that you don't know and you know exactly what you need to do to find the answer to that number. I mean, there's a reason that I know where to look for my rosaries. It's because I've been looking at my rosaries because today we're talking about rosaries. That's the best segue <laughs> possible. Amazing. Uh, the worst part about this is when I was thinking of what I was going to say about myself at the beginning of this, that wasn't something that I thought of until right before we started recording. Perfect. <laughs> but it was expert. Expert it, level segues today. Right Brian. there. So, rosaries. Yes. Awesome. So, like, little beaded things with crosses on them. Yes. I wanted to say necklaces, but I realized that, like, you don't have to wear them around your neck. Right. And we're not going to talk about that on this episode, but I thought that you weren't at all allowed to wear them around your neck, and that was sacrilegious. But apparently, like, you can if your intentions are right. But this is going to be a two-parter, and we're going to get into that kind of stuff next week. This week, we're doing all the history. Awesome. I suspect that rosaries have, like, a long and wild history. They do have a pretty long history. There was a lot of steps that it took to get to the point that they're at now. Cool. Do we start with the Bible, then? Or sort of. Or the Bible? Well, what I'm going to structure this a little differently, because it would be a little confusing if I just shoved all of the biblical stuff into one part at the beginning. And I'm kind of just going to do the history of it, and when there's a biblical element, I'm going to let you know. Sweet. Works for me. Where do we begin then? Prayer beads are a thing that people have done since before Christianity. Mm -hmm. They were an important, maybe still are, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not as researched on that, but a part of Hinduism uh, mm -hmm. just to count prayers. Yeah. Which is what they ended up being used for in Christianity as well. So we were not the first ones to come up with it. But the Christian story starts in 3rd century Egypt. Okay. In Egypt, at this time, monks and hermits were centering their prayer around the 150 psalms. Okay. That's the magic number? 150? Yeah, well, that's how many there are in the book of psalms. Right. It's <laughs> a lot of psalms. That is. How long is a psalm? Uh, like, not very. Okay. Are, they, are psalms a fixed length, or is it... No, they're different lengths. In my mind, a psalm has, like, a set structure, like a limerick or a sonnet. No, absolutely not. My Bible's right behind you if you wanted to look at them. But... Sure. I'll take a, while you talk, I'll take a brief gander at some psalms. Yeah, see if you can find them. I opened up to psalms! That was impressive. It's a big book, so... It is, but I did open right up to psalms. Oh, yeah, so some of them are, like, really long, and some of them are very short. Yeah. Intriguing. Psalms. Psalms. So, we're praying the psalms. Great. And in the early days, they would pray the entire book of psalms which is also called the Psalter. Okay. Um, this is all spelled with a P at the beginning of it. Yeah. Silent P. In one day. That's a lot. It's a lot of prayer. You're, you're a monk. You're not doing anything else. I guess that's fair. Uh, later on, even the monks kind of eased up a bit and started praying it in a week. And so now there's versions that range from praying the entire book of Psalms from a week to a month, depending on how much you're doing in a day. Yeah. But the problem here is most people do not have a Psalter. We're pre-printing press, very much pre-printing press at this point. Ah, yes. So you have to have them memorized, or you have handwritten them out yourself. Yeah. Books are very expensive because they're all hand-copied. Mm-hmm. So what people started doing is they took the 
prayers that they already knew, and they repeated them 150 times in place of saying 150 different psalms. That's smart. And it's still 150-something. Yeah. And they're like, we feel okay about this. Yeah. close enough. Sure. In the Middle Ages, people started calling this a poor man's breviary. Okay. What's a breviary? It's a book that contains the psalms and other prayers that you need for the liturgy of the hours. Okay. One of the prayers that would get said 150 times over and over again, one of the first ones was the Jesus prayer. Okay. Basically just, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Great. Short and sweet. Yeah. Very simple. Very straightforward. Mm Mm-hmm. This is not a prayer that I'm particularly familiar with, but it's very important in Orthodox Christianity. Great. Um, So I think it just kind of lost prevalence in Western Christianity over time, but retained it on the Eastern side. There you go. So our other prayers could be like Hail Marys and things like that? We'll get to that. Okay, great. (laughs) Jump in the gun. Yeah. As I want to do. Insert a little Bible in here. There's lots of examples of people saying something along the lines of the Jesus prayer in the Bible. A couple examples. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, master, take pity on me. Both in the Gospel of Luke. Okay. Easy, easy connection there. Yeah. Short, sweet, to the point. Easily repeatable 150 times in a reasonable, you know, period of time. Exactly. So other people would pray the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer. This one also biblically based. Jesus literally told us to say it. Pretty much verbatim like we say it now. Oh, really? Yeah. In the Gospel of Matthew, the quote that I have, I forget which translation I pulled this from, but it's, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I once had to memorize that for a show I was in. Very nice. Was it The Crucible? It was not. It was a show that had been collaboratively written with a bunch of high schoolers when I was in high school. And I played a religious character who, like, in a moment, prays. And that's what I had to say. And it took me a long time to memorize. (laughs) It was harder for me to memorize than anything else I said in that show. That's very funny. So was your version that you had to say in your play the Protestant version? I wouldn't know the difference. Catholics and pretty much where I ended this quote Mm -hmm. here... And then there's like a little part that the priest says during mass, and then they say the final part after that. But Protestants say it all together, and they end with, for thine is the power and the glory forever and ever. I must have been doing the Protestant one. It was long. I mean, it's not that much longer. But it was a few few beats longer than what you just said, for sure. But yeah, that was my challenge for that. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. There it is. It's hard to start it in the middle. I can imagine. (laughs) Especially if you're used to just saying it from beginning to end by rote. There's also a slightly... Shorter, similar version of the Our Father in Luke. Cool. But But that one comes straight out of the Bible. This is probably the most directly biblical thing we've talked about on this show. Great. (laughs) Copy it, paste it, say it out loud. Yep. That was one of the ones that people would say. Everybody was praying something 150 times. Mm -hmm. But even in monasteries, sometimes there wouldn't be enough Psalters for everybody. Sure. Because still, books are really expensive. Yeah. The other monks would either memorize the psalms or there would be a call and response sort of thing at services but they didn't have a physical book in their hand and some of the lay brothers couldn't read fair so to help people keep track of where they are in this prayer they would have a little pouch with 150 pebbles in it okay and they would either toss away pebbles until they got to the end or they would put one pebble at a time back in the bag there you go 
Take them out, put them in. Yeah. Take them out, put them in. So just a counting tool. Yeah. Math. Yeah. And then later on, as a way to make this more convenient, this developed into a knotted rope. So it would be a rope with 150 knots on it, and you would run your fingers along it for each prayer said. That makes sense. And also easier to hold on to than like, I'm saying this and I need to sit down and make sure I have a safe place to put my 150 pebbles so I don't lose a pebble. Exactly. Smart. And then you combine the rope and the pebbles and you get beads? I don't know if that's directly what the thought was, but we do move from knots to beads. Great. (laughs) Fun fact, the word bead actually comes from an old English word for prayer. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. The monks were the first ones using these because they were the ones praying all of the psalms. Sure. And they started eventually giving these ropes out to lay people who were also saying prayers. Because as it turns out, it's very hard to keep track of how many times you've said the exact same prayer. I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah. By about the 12th century, people were mostly using prayer ropes for our fathers. Mm -hmm. So these ropes, they would have 50 beads or 50 knots, and you'd count through them three times to get Mm -hmm. 150 total. Sure. They became known as paternosters, which is Latin for our father. There you go. Which is how associated their father was with... This particular situation. Yeah. Great. You did jump the gun on this, but I suspect this is all very logical, yeah? Yeah. Is the, are things about to get weird? So, for anyone who's familiar with the rosary, the thing that they're thinking right now is, how are we to the 12th century and we haven't talked about Mary yet? Yeah, I guess now that you mentioned <laughs> it, how did we make it to the 12th century and we haven't talked about Mary yet? Because the prayer that you say most when praying a rosary is the Hail Mary. We haven't talked about the Hail Mary yet because it developed much later than these other prayers. Interesting. We, about. we didn't start praying the Hail Mary yet because it didn't exist. Yeah. People would say some short phrases as like devotional to Mary, but we didn't have this official prayer. People started using prayer beads in about the third century, and it took until the seventh century for a early form of the Hail Mary to catch on. Great. At this point, our buddy who we've mentioned a couple times, Pope Gregory the Great. Yeah. Good friend of the show. Yeah. He asked people to pray an early version of the prayer on the fourth Sunday of Advent. So it was just do it this one time a year because the, the version was just Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you, which is what the angel Gabriel says to Mary, except the angel doesn't say Mary in there. It's just hail full of grace. Sure. And so they inserted Mary. So you know who you're talking about. And I feel like Advent is an appropriate time to be praying to Mary. She comes up a lot in that time of year's stories. So makes sense. There we go. And on this fourth Sunday of Advent, people prayed it over and over again and used their beads to keep track. Because they already had the beads because they'd been doing it with the Our Father. Yeah. And it continued to be mostly the Our Father even after the Hail Mary became popular. Sure. So then in the early 15th century, a Carthusian monk, Dominic of Prussia, paired 50 Hail Marys with 50 phrases about the lives of Mary and Jesus, taken from the Psalms. Okay. Like in a book? I assume he wrote it down. Sure. I don't have like a name of that book. It was just a thing that he did and a practice that spread. Cool. He called these 50 phrases the joys of Mary. Great. This had started to develop as a practice before he did it, but he was the one who popularized it. Great. This is also about the time when we first start calling it a rosary. Okay. Because rosary means rose garden. And a rose garden was a common way to refer to a collection of stories 
like the collection that Dominic had paired with the prayers. That makes total sense, then. I like the idea of a collection of stories being a rose garden. Yeah. It's sort of sweet. It is nice. Mm-hmm. It sort of feels like a mind palace, like when people use that memory tool where they, like, build a house in their mind and, like, that helps them remember specific things. Only it's the outdoor part of your memory palace is your rose garden. That's lovely. And I feel like I would I would appreciate that so much more if I had heard of a memory palace before. You should check it out. It's crazy. <laughs> it's like a tool that people use to, rem- like, remember incredible amounts of information mm. and be able to recall it sort of efficiently. I'll have to use that for names. I'm really bad at names. Yeah. Check it out. I will. So we have the joys of Mary. There we go. Then we get the heavenly joys and the sorrows of Mary so that we end up with 150 back to a total of 100 so is it like you say a Hail Mary and then you say a fun fact and then you say a Hail Mary and then you say a fun fact basically yeah great that's, that's so that means that you have to mem- you only have to memorize one prayer but you do have to memorize 150 fun facts right great that's the problem that we're having at this point because <laughs> it's still a lot of rote memorization yeah and so the, this practice the 150 Hail Marys and the 150 snippets from the psalms that were related to the lives of Mary and Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's called a Marian Psalter. Great. It's like a Psalter, but specifically for Mary. Yeah. And then there were people who also combined this with the practice of saying 150 Our Fathers. So it would be phrase, Hail Mary, Our Father, repeat. That's so much. How long does that take the average person? I don't know. I've never done it. We're still not, this is still not what the rosary is. I know. <laughs> I'm just thinking about, like, how much time in your day are you spending with your fun facts? I also haven't prayed a rosary in years, so I don't remember how long that takes. But you have five of them. I do have five of them. (laughs) You know, growing up Catholic, you just collect them. That's fair. I'm sure in the next episode we'll talk about novelty rosaries and we can discuss strange novelty rosaries. I'm so ready for that. The only time I was in Rome was... It was shortly after Benedict had become Pope, but there was still a lot of stuff with JP2's face on it. There's still a lot of stuff with JP2's face on it. You can get this candle that I have. I have a candle right here. It's a JP2 devotional candle that someone got me as a joke that's just in my room. Except for it's great. (laughs) (laughs) It lives in the pod office. And it's also half in Spanish. You know, like you do. Which, you know, makes sense for this neighborhood. Sure. (laughs) Because clearly one of our friends just, like, saw it at the store and was like, Brian needs to own this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. okay, so now people are just saying a lot of words 150 times for kicks. Pretty much, yeah. Did anyone ever do phrase about Mary, Hail Mary, Our Father, and then the psalm and get, like, all four? Or were the phrases about Mary enough like the psalms? You didn't need to do both. These were very short. I don't think people were praying the whole Psalter like the monks were. And also doing this. I just feel like if you wanted to go whole hog, you could do all four. You could. I don't think that's a thing that people really did, though. Fair. It does feel kind of extra. Yeah, because I think part of it is the people who were praying the whole Psalter were like, were looking down on the people who didn't know well enough to know the hey, you everything. Hey, m- you memorize 150 psalms, you memorize 150 facts about Mary. They're, you're still <laughs> memorizing 150-somethings. Fair enough. Cut them some slack. Monks. I also don't know how widespread this 150 different things practice was, because it did take away a lot of the simplicity of it. Yeah. (laughs) But that's where we're at at the moment. And then the next development comes a little bit later, mid-15th century. There's a Dominican named Alan de la Roche. Cool. He broke the Hail Marys up into groups of 10. 
Cool. And these are called decades. Makes sense. Sure. Ten. Yeah, ten. That's how ten works. And he also reduced the number of our fathers down to one at the start of each decade. Okay, so for every ten Hail Marys, you do one Yes. And now we're going to backtrack for a moment, because if we were talking to Alan right now... Okay. That's our time travel music. He would disagree with everything I've said so far. Really? Yes. Why? (laughs) Because according to Alan, and this is probably a story that a lot of people familiar with the rosary have heard, and we've actually, we mentioned it briefly on a previous episode. Uh Uh-huh. According to Alan, the rosary was given to St. Dominic. Okay. Yes. Of the Dominicans. Yes. He was a patron on Patronage Pop Quiz at one point. He was. That was Dominic Guzman. Yes. As opposed to Dominic of Silos, who was also one. Yes. So many Dominics. Multiple Dominics. (laughs) Yep. So, according to Alan, the rosary was given to Dominic in 1214, directly by the Virgin Mary. Okay. And this was when she appeared to him in a vision. I was going to say, not like when she was alive, but like... Right. This is many centuries later. Correct. That's how this works. <laughs> and she gave him both the, the beads and all of the prayers in the form that they were currently being used. So just like ready-made, ready to go. There was no development over time. Okay. In his mind, this was a package deal brought down from the heavens to St. Dominic by the Virgin Mary. Yes. Great. Mary gave the rosary to Dominic to help him fight a heresy. Heresy! <laughs> Check one off on Sunday School Bingo. Yeah. The heresy that he was fighting was Catharism, which is the idea that the universe is a battleground between good, which is the spirit, and evil, which is matter, and human beings are believed to be spirits trapped in physical bodies. And this belief was heretical. Yes. Great. The physical is also good. Yeah. <laughs> that's enough, That's re- really close to Gnosticism. Okay, so... Physical is not all bad, so... But St. Dominic is fighting this particular heresy with the power of the rosary. He is. And, oh, uh, fun fact about the people who followed the, like, sect of Catharism. Sure. Whatever yeah, you say. I think that's how... I think I said it differently the first time, but I think it's Catharism. Okay. They, the leaders of this group, lived with great austerity, remaining chaste, and avoiding all foods that come from sexual union. I don't think they know how plants work. I don't think they know how plants work. I just spent way too much time trying to figure this out. I assume they don't know how plants work. I assume they don't know how plants work. Um, Or they're, like, only eating things that grow by, like, budding. Yeah. Sure. (laughs) I'm trying to think, like, do eggs count? Because if you're eating the eggs, then they, like, by definition didn't get fertilized. Like... Ooh. I don't know. I wonder what their thoughts were on that. Yeah. I don't want to ask them, but I'm very confused. They have sufficiently confused me. (laughs) So Dominic was definitely in France fighting this heresy. With the power of the rosary. There are no writings that predate Alan that connect Dominic to the rosary. Okay. So like Dominic never said the word rosary. Right. He could have been using some sort of prayer beads in his ministry, but he probably was not teaching people to pray the rosary as... As Alan knew it. Yeah, as Alan knew it. Great. <laughs> but Alan really wanted to seem legit, and thus needed to trace it all the way back to Dominic. Yeah, I guess. And also, he is a Dominican, so, you know... That's their jam. Dominic is, at least. There's people who are like, well, just because there's nothing written about it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Sure. But there's also no paintings of Dominic before the time of Alan that depict him holding a rosary. And you'd think if he was using the rosary to fight heresy, somebody would have painted him with a rosary. Right. Also, somebody else on the planet who met Dominic probably would have written in a letter or a diary about a rosary. 
if they were that important. Right. So we're taking Alan with a grain of salt. So it was actually, it was universally accepted that Dominic was the one who gave us the rosary until about the 17th century. Okay. And that was when a group of Belgian Jesuits decided to investigate. Ooh. (laughs) And they looked into it, so there's not any evidence for it. It's basically it. And moved on. (laughs) Fair. But a lot of people still credit him for it. And throughout the years, a bunch of popes were Team Dominic, including... The, the first one was Alexander VI in 1495, and then Leo X in 1521, Pius V in 1572, Gregory VIII in 1585, Sixtus V in 1590, Clement VIII in 1605, Alexander VII in 1667, Innocent XI in 1689, Clement XI in 1721, and Innocent Thirteenth. In 1724. So many popes. So many popes. So many people who are so sure that that's how rosaries worked. Yeah, and the funny thing is so many people use, well, all of these popes said it was true as their, like, their evidence for why it was definitely Dominic. Great. And then presumably <laughs> they got their information from Alan, who was the guy who told everyone the story. Yeah, because the earliest pope who credited it to Dominic wasn't until the end of the 15th century. There you go. So, Alan has his thing that he's not created, but rather passed down through the lineage of St. Dominic. Right. So, that aside is important because that's the story that a lot of people have heard. Fair. But, also, if nothing that Alan said is true, it means he was the one who invented a lot of the structure of the rosary. I mean, good for him then. Yeah. (laughs) He doesn't want to take credit for it, but we'll give him some credit. Yeah. Um, And who knows, maybe he was doing that thing where you credit someone who is important with work that you have done. Sure. Like, that's true of a lot of ancient writings. Yeah, and he's being humble about it, which is nice for him. Yeah. To circle back, mm-hmm. Alan was the guy who decided that you would do ten Hail Marys, and then an Our Father, and then ten Hail Marys, and then an Our Father. And Other worked. way around. Our Father first, and then ten Hail Marys. Sure. So an Our Father and ten Hail Marys, which is a decade. Yeah. And you do that 15 times. Yes. For a total number of 150 revolutions. Yes. So then we move on to 1569, Okay. when Pope Pius established 15 official mysteries, one for each decade. Ooh, mysteries. Yeah. What's a mystery? A mystery is just like... Not a whodunit? No, it's not, unfortunately. Bummer. It's like a, a moment in the life of Jesus or Mary that you're supposed to like dwell on spiritually. Ah, so how are these different than the, like, fun facts from the original Joys of Mary thing? We're basically consolidating. Okay. That's essentially what has We've happened. We've picked the best 15 out of that 150. Yeah, though it's it seems to be that in the original 150, it was much more interpretations of the Psalms. Okay. And these are more directly from the New Testament. Okay. Because Psalms are part of the Hebrew Bible. It's three sets of five mysteries. Well, we really like just breaking these down into smaller and smaller numbers. We do. It's more convenient. Sure. Okay, so three (laughs) sets of five. Yeah. So the first set is the joyful mysteries. Great. And these focus on Jesus' birth. The first is the Annunciation of the Lord to Mary. So that's Gabriel. Yeah. You're going to have a baby and he's going to be the Son of God. Exactly. Second is the Visitation of Mary to Elizabeth, her cousin. Sure. Sure. Saying, I was told by an angel that I'm going to have a baby and it's going to be the son of God. 
Um, Well, the most exciting part of that is Elizabeth tells Mary how great she is. Okay, cool. So Mary's great. (laughs) We figured this out. (laughs) And then the next part is the nativity. Sure. Merry Christmas. And then the presentation of Jesus in the temple. Great. Cool. Here we are. And then finding Jesus in the temple when he's 12. This is, we Time travel! No, well, no. Uh, so, so, that story is kind of a fun one. Mary and Joseph are part of a caravan. They have gone to the temple in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And they assumed that Jesus had joined their, their caravan on the way home. And he was just, like, hanging out with other relatives. And they, like, had gotten a day out. And they were like, wait, where's Jesus? And they oh, had no. to go back and find him. And he was just like... Preaching in the temple. <laughs> he was just, like, being a child preacher. Yeah, and there was, like, what is happening? That's when they realized their son was a prodigy. <laughs> I mean, there's other things. I mean, also, they knew he was the son of God. Right. <laughs> there was that. Okay, so that's the first five. Yeah. What are the second five? Second five are the sorrowful mysteries. The first is the agony of Jesus in the garden. This is just the night before the crucifixion. Jesus sure. is sad in a garden. Cool. Is that Judas? That's the same night, yeah. That, cool. That happens. It's all of that stuff. Jesus is sad. Yes. Technically, the whole agony in the garden thing is right before the Judas thing. Cool. And then the scourging at the pillar, which is just when they, part of the crucifying, they were whipping him. Step one. Which I don't know if I've told you this fun fact. Probably not. I want it. And if you haven't, (laughs) I want to hear it anyway. So there was this time where my family was playing Pictionary and (laughs) (laughs) I got the word pillar, which is a weird Pictionary word. That is a weird Pictionary word. But like, I think I was probably about 12 and the first thing I thought of was to draw the scourging at the pillar. <laughs> this is everything you ever needed to know about Brian. <laughs> in really one super concise and perfect way. <laughs> to like know why we do this podcast and why Brian is the way he is, is this moment. If you're wondering, my parents did not get it. And were very confused that that's the route I went. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sounds about right. Uh, I guess, like, that's the best way to differentiate a pillar from a column. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> okay, so those are the first two. So then Jesus is crowned with thorns. Great. Pretty self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. Jesus carried the cross. Yep. And, and then, then Jesus' crucifixion, is that? Yeah, and the crucifixion. Five. Okay. Look at you. I'm figuring it out. Presumably someday we'll do an episode about Stations of the Cross. Yeah, we totally can. Uh, there's, what, 13 of them? It's more than that. I don't remember how many it is. I was once in a church in Italy and they had like the pictures of all of them all the way around the church, but all of the captions were in Italian. Mm. And so I had to sort of like basically, I had to sort of suss them all out from a combination of like how much French and Spanish I knew and what was an English cognate. And I did okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, there's pictures. It helps. The pictures do help. (laughs) But it's like one of them is he falls down and then another one is he falls down again. He does fall. He falls three times. Great. There's a lot of falling down. There's a lot of repeats, which I think is helpful, but also confusing. Sure. Okay, so we have five more to go. Presumably these all have to do with zombie Jesus. They do. The glorious mysteries focus on Jesus's resurrection and also Mary. Cool. Um, (laughs) So the the first one is the resurrection of Jesus. Sure. The second is the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Cool. That's a thing that happened. Third is the descent of the Holy Ghost. Sure. The fourth is the assumption of Mary into heaven. Cool. And the fifth is Mary is crowned as queen of heaven and earth. Adorable. (laughs) Which, not in the Bible, but still cool. (laughs) But nice to think about. I'm glad that this Pope made that canon. Yeah. 
Also, in 19... Or, not 1969. No, in 1569. That makes more sense. <laughs> Pope Pius added a glory be to the end of each decade. Okay, so for each decade, you say in Our Father. Yes. You say a mystery. Yes. You what? say a Hail Mary. Well, you say the mystery first. So it's mystery, then Our Father, then Hail Mary's. Okay, so it's Mary's crowned the queen of heaven and earth. Our Father. Yes. Hail Mary. Glory be. Yes. And that's the last one. Yeah, I should have started at the beginning, but that's fine. Whatever. And also, a part of what we're going to talk about in the next episode is the specifics of, like, actually what bead goes with which prayer and how you do all of that. Great. The, like, mechanics of this whole shindig. Yeah. And I'll... This won't help anyone listening to this, but I will have a rosary out for Shannon to look at while we're, while we're talking about that. Cool. The rest of you, I don't know, look it up. For, or, like, if you have a rosary on hand, listen yeah. with a rosary. Yeah, if you know me, I have some spares. <laughs> we'll lend you a rosary. <laughs> so, Glory Be, also called the Lesser Doxology. Doxology is just a hymn of praise to God. There is a greater doxology. What is it? It's the Gloria that's said at Mass. It's like a longer hymn than just two words. I mean, you, you don't just say glory be. It's glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be world without end. Oh, you don't just say glory be. You say a thing that is called glory be. Yeah. Okay. That... The glory be is the name of the prayer. <laughs> okay. Man, this just keeps getting longer and more complicated. <laughs> Ooh, boy. Someday I want to time someone doing the like most efficient version of the Psalter. And the most extended version of the rosary and see how long they time that against each other. Like, did this really end up saving anyone any time? Oh, this definitely saves time. Really? <laughs> yes. I don't know. You have to do it 150 times. I guess you only do the long parts 15 times. Yeah. Well, your total saying 150 hell. We'll get into that later. Yeah. <laughs> it just feels like a lot of words. So, glory be, sort of biblical in that Paul praised God, but this exact form was approved at the Fourth Synod of Toledo in 633. I know that's not how you say it in it's Spain, fine. but I'm from Ohio, so it's Toledo, y'all. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll forgive you on that one. <laughs> um, great. So we have the whole loop. It's likely that that little bit hanging off the end of the rosary with the cross on it was also formalized at this point, which is when they would have added the Apostles' Creed the Hail Holy Queen, but I couldn't find anything that specifically said that that's when it was added. Great, but it would make sense. Yeah. The Hail Holy Queen, also a prayer. It's not just saying Hail Holy Queen. I would, I guess, that much <laughs> this time. It's a little longer, though. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know why these other prayers were added. I found one source that suggested that they were added to keep people from using the rosary like it's magic. Spoiler alert to next week that didn't stop people from using the rosary like it's magic. <laughs> I don't know what that means, and I don't want to know right now. I want you to wait till next week, but I'm really interested and concerned and interested in the phrase using the rosary like it's magic. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a whole bit, I'm sure. So this is basically the final form of the rosary. Cool. So the next change is... May 13th, 1917. All right. This is when Mary appeared to three children in Fatima, Portugal, and she told them to come back to that spot each month on the 13th, and then she would give them a message. She also told them to pray the rosary for world peace. Great. 
And they did this, and on the third visit, July 13th, 1917, she told them to add a prayer to the end of each decade of the rosary. Oh, wow. Yeah. She's coming down. What's the prayer? Uh, It's called the Fatima prayer. It's optional. Not everybody adds it. Okay. A lot of people do. Cool. So that's another thing that got added. And then there is still one more, even more recent change. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's not a Vatican II change. I was about to ask if it happened during Vatican II. It didn't. It's actually recent enough that I remember it. Really? Yeah. What was it? When was it? It happened in 2002. Okay. On October 16th, 2002, Pope John Paul II released a letter announcing that it was the year of the rosary, and he was encouraging people to renew their practice of it. Cool. It's like if you... Everyone's been laxing on the rosary. Basically. This is the year. And so he proposed a whole new set of mysteries. Ooh. Yeah. Like to replace them or to add on? No, to add. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Are there 15 of them? No, there's, there's five because it's a set. Like there's. Oh, but then does that mean that you have to do five more decades? Yes. (laughs) Did they start making longer rosaries? Yes, but most people just use a five decade rosary. Okay. So it just adds a cycle. Wait, what are the new five mysteries? The new five mysteries are the luminous mysteries. Ooh, are they like things that have happened after Jesus ascended into heaven? No, they're mysteries that focus on the public ministry of Jesus. Interesting. Because we kind of skipped right from... from ba- re- we went from 12-year-old Jesus to dead Jesus, like, very quickly. Yeah. So this one sort of goes between sets one and two. It ends up getting added to the end, but time historical timeline-wise, these all come between the joyful and sorrowful. Cool. So what are they? They are... Christ's baptism. Cool. That makes sense. The wedding feast at Cana. We've talked about that one, episode two. The proclamation of the kingdom. Don't know what that is. Not a specific event. That's just like preaching. Cool. <laughs> also, I think the wedding at Cana might actually be episode three. Oops. I don't know off the top of my head. Three. It was early. It was three. Okay. Because two is Onanism. Ah, yes, it was. <laughs> there we go. What a time. All right. So <laughs> the declaration of the kingdom. Proclamation of the kingdom. Proclamation of the kingdom. It's a thing that happened, presumably. Yeah. Four, it was the Transfiguration, which is Jesus was up on a mountain and was just suddenly glowing. Cool. Shiny (laughs) Jesus. The short version of that. We're going to add shiny Jesus to our (laughs) list of types of Jesus then. Yeah. And he was a tie dad. Like, his clothes were also very white. Amazing. All of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Uh, And number five is the institution of the Eucharist. Cool. We've talked about that plenty on the show. Yeah. I was in Catholic school at this time. And then you practiced praying a lot of extra rosaries. Yeah, I would have been in fourth grade. And I remember it was a really big deal. And we all prayed the rosary together out in the parking lot. In the parking lot. Yeah, I remember remember very specifically, like, all of us out loud in the parking lot in a big circle. With your rosaries? With our rosaries. Adorable. They were, like, little plastic, colorful rosaries. Anybody who... Grew up Catholic is probably very familiar with those cheap. I think I can envision a cheap multicolored plastic rosary. There's yeah. like yellow and white and blue and pink ones. Most of the ones I had were they came in like packs of fifty, and each one was just one color. Okay, but there were lots of different yeah. colors to choose from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great. So yeah, fun memory and fun when I can connect to the development of one of these theological topics. Yeah, that's wild. Is that all we've got for this week? That's what I've got for today. Next week will be a little more on the structure of how you pray a rosary. I will let you know you're usually not praying as long as you think you're praying. Sure. <laughs> it's long enough that enough fourth graders had attention span to do it in a parking lot. Yeah. 
Um, and then we'll talk about some other things people do related to praying the rosary, di- what different rosaries look like, and some different cultural things. Sounds awesome. Well, let's take a break and then we'll come back for some fun. Sounds good. And we're back. And now it's time for the patronage pop quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint and she has to guess what they're the patron of. All right. Who you got for me today, Brian? Well, this week is a little different because there are two and a half. What? (laughs) What? So this week we're talking about saints Jacinta and Francisco Marto and their cousin, who's not a saint, Lucia Dos Santos. Okay, wait. Why are why is one of them not a saint and what what is going on here? <laughs> we'll just jump into the story. Okay. <laughs> I have a lot of questions. <laughs> so Francisco was born June eleventh, nineteen oh eight, and his sister Jacinta was born March eleventh, nineteen ten. Their cousin Lucia was born March twenty second, nineteen oh seven. Okay. They were all born in the town of Algestral, Portugal, to a family of shepherds. Great shepherds. Yeah, lots of shepherds. I know. Bible loves shepherds. That yeah, we call Jesus a shepherd. It's true. The good one, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> that was adorable, Brian. <laughs> uh, so they were peasants, but they were not really poor mm-hmm. because they actually own some of the land that their sheep grazed on. Cool. Well, they didn't. Their families did. Sure, they, they, were, I mean, they children. were children. Uh, All three were illiterate, but they loved to tell stories that had been passed down to them. Francisco was very quiet and liked to spend time alone, but he was also very musically inclined. Jacinta was very affectionate, but a bit spoiled. She was the youngest of all the kids, and she also had a beautiful singing voice and loved to dance. Great. Lucia was known for being an excellent storyteller, and she even composed her own songs. They sound like quality children. Yeah, they seem nice. Yeah. There's one that, like really mean priest when I was reading stories about these kids that was like, Lucia was kind of ugly. Like, that's not nice. That is not nice at all. (laughs) Stop it. I didn't even write down that priest's name. Yeah, you don't get to be preserved (laughs) in the historical record, mean priest. So, in 1916, the three children had visions of an angel while they were out tending the sheep. Wait, I think I know what the story is. Um, Yeah, so they had three visions of an angel. Okay. After they started having these visions, they all gave up their music and dancing, believing that these activities led to occasions of sin. That's sad. They were too tempting. I don't like it. So they became very serious, austere children. I don't like it at all. (laughs) They sounded like such great children until now. Now they're just austere, sad children. (laughs) Yeah. And man, there's a couple pictures of them. They look very sad. But it's also that period of time where everyone looks sad in pictures. Fair. (laughs) Because you have to hold still for like 500 years and it's just not worth it to try and smile. Yep. (laughs) So then on, I bet you can guess the date. (laughs) I mean, I can't remember it right now because my mind is a sieve. But I know the date you speak of. (laughs) (laughs) On May 13th, 1917. There we go. These children were tending their sheep in Cobadeira near Fatima when they received a vision of the Virgin Mary. There we go. And, and she said, come back on the third Sunday? 13th. Thir- Just keep coming back on the 13th. 13th. It, was, uh, it was easy. Yeah. These were illiterate children. Fair. Like <laughs> The 13th of every month, come back here and I'm going to give you a message. Yes. She asked the children to pray for peace for the world, for the end of World War I, which was currently happening. Yeah, 1917. And also for the conversion of Russia, which had just become communist. 
Woof. That's a big <laughs> ask, especially in 1917. Little did they know. Yeah, I was like, all right, okay. <laughs> uh, she also asked them to learn to read and write. Okay. And to pray the rosary, and then to come back to that spot on the 13th of each month for the next six months. Okay. And they did this, except in August they were delayed until the 19th because authorities were questioning them about the visions on the 13th. Okay. So I got a pass <laughs> on that one. Now, are we talking, like, police authorities? Or are we talking about, like, church authorities? What kind of authorities are we talking here? I just said local authorities. I'm, I assume it was probably a mixture. And in the town they were living, it was probably... More broadly speaking, a mixture between religious and secular authority. Sure. So they, they kept coming back. Yep. And on the third visit in July, Mary shared three secrets with the children. Dun, dun, dun. They didn't tell anyone. Because they were secrets. This was also when they got the Fatima prayer. Cool. On the, the, third. On the third visit in July. Great. And by the last visit in October, a crowd of... Somewhere between seventy and 90,000 people gathered to watch the children communicate with Mary. Wow. I believe the crowd could not see Mary. Okay. It was just the children could see Mary. Great. And during this last visit, Mary asked for a chapel to be built on the spot. So they did. And yeah, Eventually. But in that moment, everyone witnessed a solar phenomenon. And this was reported by a lot of people who were there. Wow. So uh, reportedly, the sun fell towards the earth. I don't know what that looks like. Sure. Bright. Yeah, I presumably. guess. And during this visit, Lucia announced that they were talking to Mary, and she announced that Mary wanted a chapel. Okay. They're, like, narrating. Someone's translating between Basically. them. <laughs> Very helpful children. Yes. Very helpful austere children. Very austere. <laughs> Very helpful. <laughs> uh, so, unfortunately, shortly after this last visit... Francisco and Jacinda died of influenza in 1919 and 1920, respectively. Spanish flu. Rough. I think Spanish flu is a different disease than influenza. I think that the great flu of right after World War I, they called the Spanish flu because Spanish... This is what I've heard because I listened to this on a podcast recently and I might still be wrong. Is that the influenza outbreak that happened after World War One, or like during World War One and then after they killed a gazillion people, uh-huh. was called the Spanish flu because the only reporters that weren't reporting on World War One were the reporters in Spain. So people associated the flu outbreak with Spain. Oh, and so it didn't okay. actually start in Spain. They just called it Spanish flu because all of the reports about it were coming out of Spain. Sure. Okay. Maybe maybe a Spanish flu then. All right. Shout out to this podcast will kill you for their information on that. Great. I don't listen to that one. Maybe I'm wrong. You should. It's really good. All right. It's about (laughs) epidemiology. (laughs) Neat. (laughs) Okay. But they died of the flu. They did. Get Uh, vaccinated, everyone. Yeah. That's real. This this podcast supports vaccination. Correct. (laughs) So does the Vatican. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like, officially. (laughs) Um, That was a recent story. Uh, I think I remember hearing about that. (laughs) The two children, they died, and they were buried in a little cemetery in town. And then in 1922, the Catholic Church decided to investigate these visions, mm-hmm. the stories that the children had told. And as part of that, in 1935, they exhumed the bodies, and they found that Jacinta was incorrupt, meaning her body had not started to decompose. There we go. Francisco had, though. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Still. <laughs> He had had too much fun. He was older and had had more yes. time for sin before. Too much fun. 
then they, they dug them up again to move them to the basilica that had been built on the site where they had had their visions. Makes sense. In 1951. And she had started decomposing by that point. Okay. So that was why when I was looking, I was like, I thought they were incorrupt. And I had a hard time finding it. It's because yeah. they were incorrupt for a bit. And also only one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stepping back a little bit to Lucia, who's still alive. In 1927, she revealed the first two secrets that Mary had told the children. She revealed them to the Catholic Church. Okay. The Catholic Church then, more broadly, revealed what the first secret was. Okay. They said the first secret was a vision of what hell was like. Ooh. And apparently it very much scared Jacinta for the rest of her life. I mean, yeah. I would become a sad, serious child if that was what happened. Yeah, that was a big part of her becoming a sad, serious child. Was that now she knew what hell was? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. So she's a saint. She's probably not there. <laughs> I would hope so. But still, <laughs> that's a really good way to scare a child. I mean, yes. <laughs> the second secret was that World War One would end, but very quickly after there would be another Great War. Ooh, now things are getting spooky. Yeah. See, except this secret wasn't made public until 1941. But she presumably told it to the Vatican in 1921? 1927. 27. Presumably. So if... If if we believe that that was actually told to them that early, then it was a... Legit miracle. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, Do we know anything about the third secret? We'll get there. That comes later. Okay. So Lucia, still alive, went on to become a Carmelite nun in 1948. Sure. Like you do after you've spent your childhood seeing visions of the Virgin Mary. Yeah. Checks out. Yeah. On the 50th anniversary of the first vision, so May 13th, 1967, she accompanied Pope Paul VI to a shrine with about one million pilgrims. That's a lot of pilgrims. Big deal. And she lived until she was 97, died in 2005. Wow. Yeah. And is that why she's not a saint yet? Is because she died too recently? Yeah, and I think, unfortunately, she's probably not going to get to be saint. Why? <laughs> because I think we've lost the hype that they had for the, the kids. <laughs> but that's the, the reason she's not a saint, is because she lived. <laughs> yes. Is it like, it, you can't get canonized until after you died and she just stuck around for too long? Basically. <laughs> so the third secret did get revealed, though. Okay. By the Vatican. It was announced at the beatification ceremonies for... Francisco and Jacinda in 2000. Okay. So Lucia was still alive at this point. Yeah. Uh, very old, but alive. The secret was a vision of people trying to kill a man dressed in white. And this was interpreted as a prediction of the assassination attempt on JP2 mm-hmm. in 1981. The pre mobile assassination. Mm-hmm. So, again, a prediction that was announced... After it had come true? After it had come true, but presumably was relayed to the church before it happened. But people are skeptical because the order of things that happened. Is, yeah, fussy, to say the least. Yeah. So, I can tell you, the patronage for Lucia is nothing. Yes, because she's not a saint. (laughs) She's just a nun. Yeah. Well, and now a dead nun, but... (laughs) Uh, So, Shannon... What is the patronage for both Jacinta and Francisco? They have the same things. Is it the rosary? Um, no. (laughs) Is it shepherds? No. 
Is it the town of Fatima, Portugal? <laughs> that one is on there, but I stopped including towns because no one wants to hear me try to pronounce a bunch of place names. I mean, we did learn that in the first episode. This is correct. <laughs> um, we've failed to pronounce enough names of towns in the Philippines, and we're sorry in advance for that. <laughs> then I don't know. Unless it's for Sados, your children. It is for bodily ills, captives, people ridiculed for their piety, prisoners, sick people, and against sickness. Because they were sick children who died. Because they died of flu. Because yes, they, they were sick children. And also the captives is because they were, like, taken prisoner for that one, for those couple days to be interviewed. Oh, because they missed their, inter- they yeah. missed their date with the, vir- with the Virgin Mary? Yeah, that's why captives. That's hilarious. And I never would have guessed any of this. I was really hoping this was an easy one. And ridiculed for their piety was also because the rest of their brothers and sisters did not believe them. Well, yes. (laughs) That is, it is easy to not believe two children who say that they just had a vision of Mary. Great. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Just a reminder, this is a two-part episode, so the Rosary Part 2 will come out next week in your feed. In the meantime, if you're enjoying the show, go on wherever you get your podcasts, rate, review. iTunes is going to get us the most attention, but really subscribe, do whatever you need on whatever podcast app of your choice. If you want to reach out to us directly, you can shoot us an email to sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com, tweet at us at school number four heathens, or like us on Facebook at school number four heathens. Thank you so much to Adam Griffin for his awesome music on the show. Check him out at alteringgravity.wordpress.com. And thank you to David Griffin for the logo, the editing, and also for taking me to Toledo in Spain many years back for being my travel companion there. The most I remember about it is that I fell and scraped my knee. All right. There's photos of that knee scrape on my computer I discovered this week. (laughs) Uh, Also, everyone, I'm aware that it's not pronounced Toledo when you're in Spain. I'm just a proud Ohioan. (laughs) (laughs) Brian is just that much from Ohio. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Go in peace to like and share the pod.